He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Good morning. I want to give a uh, kind of a warning this morning. I've, for the last couple of weeks, I've, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sick. I've tested negative for COVID, the flu, and strep, but I've got this cough. So um, you're probably going to hear it at some point. And I will try to mute myself to save the PA system and your ears. Um, but there's a possibility that I could miss that. So if I do, I apologize in advance for that. Uh, and then the second thing is, um, when Todd gave me these verses for this morning, uh, this was several weeks ago, and I immediately start thinking through what are the, how do I want to approach this? Um, what's it saying? What's it saying to us? And, uh, and, and then how do I introduce that? And I just want you to know ahead of time that I'm probably going to offend you this morning. And if I do, just know that my goal is to offend all of you, not just some of you. And if it gets bad enough, feel free to call Todd this week and let him know. <clears throat> my cell phone is set so that I only accept calls from people in my contact list. So don't call me, call Todd. Um, I, I don't know what you think of when you hear uh, those verses that are read. In, in our culture, uh, it comes across where I, I think we hear these words, and on the one hand, we think, yeah, and on the other hand, we think, no way. Uh, I mean, listen to them again. He's toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Now, we're good with half of that. Uh, we're, we're good with exalting the lowly. We're good with uh, satisfying the hungry with good things because we, we're people who have hearts. And we have some compassion. Uh, but we also live in a world where we give privileges to people and we, we have told ourselves in our minds that we do that for a reason. Because they deserve it. Because they're smart. Because they're good at what they do. And so we're not quite as comfortable with toppling the mighty from their thrones. That sounds seditious, and it sounds dangerous. We're not always as good with sending the, the rich away empty, because in the end, our hope is that one day maybe we're in that category, and we don't get all of our stuff taken away in the process. But our world is just built in a certain way. Now, we've done it. Uh, it's not the way that God created it. It's the way that we've made it ourselves as people across time, across history, uh, across geography. It's the way the world works. It's, it's not just the way that American culture works. 
It's not the way that it works in 2023. It's the way that the world has worked since human beings have been organizing themselves in particular ways. We call that government, and so the, uh, the, the offensive part is that this is going to sound maybe political, and, and it is political. It's not partisan. I hope you know that the difference between the two. Partisan just means I'm taking sides. And this is where I'm going to offend everyone because I'm going to, I'm going to be against either side. <laughs> um, but it is political because it's about how we live life together, which is what politics is about. It, it's about how we try to organize the best kind of life that we can have together. Uh, well, I was reading an article in the Tex uh, Texas Tribune that mentioned that the Texas GOP Executive Committee rejected a proposed ban on associating with Nazi sympathizers and Holocaust deniers. Now, listen, if, if we were to get together and we were to ask ourselves, should we ban associating with Nazi sympathizers and Holocaust deniers, the answer to that should not be difficult. It shouldn't be something that we have to debate and, and spend a lot of time on, right? I mean, it, it ought to be very easy for us to gather together and say, no, associating with Nazis and, and, and white supremacists and Holocaust deniers is not something that we are going to do. I mean, that ought to be a very easy choice for us. But why did they do that? Well, in October, the same Texas Tribune published photos of a guy named Nick Fuentes, who is a well-known Nazi sympathizer and white supremacist, uh, going uh, into, well, he's, he's also an admirer of Adolf Hitler, uh, who has called for a holy war against Jews, and they photographed him entering and leaving the offices of a place called Pale Horse Strategies in West Texas, which is a consulting firm for Republican candidates and movements. In other words... There was some association there that had already taken place. Well, Pale Horse Strategies is owned by Jonathan Strickland, who is a former state representative in Texas, and at the time, the leader of a political action committee called Defend Texas Liberty that two West Texas oil billionaires have used to fund Republican causes, candidates, and politicians in the state. So, obviously it becomes a little bit more difficult to condemn those who associate with Nazis and Holocaust deniers when people who are associating with them are writing the check for you. And so, in fact, they did vote, and they voted the proposal down. In other words, they refused to condemn associating with Nazis and Holocaust deniers because that's where the checks were coming from. Well, if you haven't heard that story, you may have heard uh, that recently the presidents of three Ivy League universities who uh, recently testified before a congressional committee, they were asked whether calling for the genocide of Jews would violate the school's rules. And none of the three presidents could seem to give a clear condemnation of calls for the genocide of Jews. Now, I, I don't expect that they were Republicans. 
And this is where I'm offending the other half of you. Um, Why is it that these things that seem so morally clear are things that we can't make a simple denunciation of? Well, it's because it's the way the world works. If you if you want to get elected to office, you've got to have the right people giving you the money to do that, and they have their own vested interests, and you have to share those vested interests on some level, or you lose their support. And if you don't have their money, then all you've got left is knocking on doors. And how exciting is that? <clears throat> now, That's just an example from American 2023, but let's not think that, well, again, that that's just how American 2023 works. It's the way that the world works. If you'll recall when Russia invaded Ukraine, that one of the responses of the West was to impose sanctions on this group that they called Russian oligarchs. Now, who are those people? Well, those are just the the rich, wealthy, and powerful people in Russia who control how things go there. They, they may not hold office, but they influence those who do. And they're the ones driving the 100-foot yachts around, and they have all the money. So what the West did was, well, we, we already don't do a whole lot of business with Russia as a country, so we'll try to squeeze the money out of them. We'll, we'll squeeze the money off from the people who are funding what they're doing. It's the way the world works. But it's not just 2023 in our world. It's the way the world worked in Mary's day as well. Mary was a, as far as we know, she was from a poor family. She was a teenage girl, and she was pregnant by surprise which meant that in her world, she was not only not privileged, but she was underprivileged. She would have been looked down on. She would have been one who would have been considered, well, I mean, even if she weren't pregnant out of wedlock, a a, a woman in her day really had no standing in society anyway. Couldn't testify in court, couldn't serve on a jury, couldn't do anything that was any, didn't make any kind of significant decision about anything. Not even her own life, not even her own marriage, not, not really anything in her world, but much less a teenage girl in her world would have really been no one of account. And their world worked the exact same way. Jesus told a, a, a story about this. He, he told a story about a, a man named Lazarus who was poor who sat outside every day the home of a rich man at the gates of the rich man's house and that meant that every day every time that man went anywhere outside of his house that he had to pass this poor man and the implication of the story is that he passed him every day over and over again every day doing nothing for his condition It's the way the world works. It's the way the world has always worked. A couple of weeks ago, when Emily was here, she talked about an economy. Well, that's what she's talking about. It's not about money. In fact, uh, 
old theologians talked about God's economy, and they weren't talking about his pocketbook. They were talking about the way God uh, intended the world to be ordered. And we have our own economy. And I'm not talking about our pocketbooks, but I'm talking about the way that we get together as people and order the world. The New Testament church faced this issue. James addresses it in his letter in the New Testament when he says, listen, you, you all gather together and some of you come in with nice robes and fancy jewelry and all that kind of stuff and you put them on the front row. In fact, you displace the people who are sitting on the front row and you tell them to go to the back. Those are the poor people. You tell them to go to the back so that the people on the front can be all the ones who have the, the shiny clothes and the standing in society and and, and so forth. It's the way the world works. And in the midst of that, Mary comes in singing this song or reading this poem, speaking this truth about God and the way the world works in His economy, and she says, he has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. She's talking about a reversal of that world. It's something that Dallas Willard kind of described in his book, Divine Conspiracy. He talks about a fighter pilot flying a plane, and he says that he's flying the plane upside down. We're flying the plane upside down. We just don't realize it. Now, maybe we think that something's off because we see blue sky down here and ground up here, and that doesn't seem quite right, but we're flying the plane upside down. He says, it's okay because in a fighter jet, you can do that. You can go for a good while flying upside down. The problem is when you sense danger. What do you do? When you sense danger, if, I mean, if, if you were flying a plane and you sense danger, what, what do you think the normal reaction would be? Probably to pull up. But if you're flying upside down and you pull up, you're crashing right into the ground. And he says that's the way our world works. That's our economy. We live life in this world flying upside down, and when we sense danger, we pull up and we crash into the ground. And the notion is, his book, Divine Conspiracy, is a book on the Sermon on the Mount, which has all these radical sayings about going the extra mile and turning the other cheek and loving your enemies and all of these things that seem so upside down to us when we think about how life works. But he says that's actually how we get flying right side up. And what Mary's talking about in, in these words is about God bringing his economy to bear in our world so that the way that things normally work are reversed. That the lowly are lifted up. The mighty are brought low. And this isn't new. It's not new to Mary. Mary probably was familiar with some of the Old Testament prophets, and you're familiar with some of those lines this time of year from, for instance, Handel's Messiah, where you, you sing words to that, uh, to that composition about 
the, the mountains being brought low and the valleys being raised up and the rough places made smooth. It's about a world being turned right side up because really it's currently upside down. And one of the things that is interesting to me about this is the tense that Mary uses when she talks about this. She, because she doesn't say that he will topple the mighty from their thrones and he will exalt the lowly. She doesn't say he will satisfy the hungry with good things and will send the rich away empty, but she says he has toppled the mighty, has exalted the lowly, has satisfied the hungry, and has sent the rich away empty. As if it had already happened. Because in her mind, it had. The fact that God would come to this lowly, unassuming reject of society and say, you will be the one who bears the Son of God. She just felt like her life had been turned upside down. That she had been moved from the lowly, the outcast, the reject because of her position in life and now had been exalted to the, the one who would bear the Son of God and bring Him into the world. Her fortunes had been changed. Now, that doesn't mean that she was rich. It doesn't mean that she now had standing in her world. It meant that she realized in the eyes of God that's exactly what had just happened. And that that's what really mattered. So she could talk about these things as if they'd already happened. And, and that gets, to, gets me to when we talk about Advent. Advent is, Advent's not Christmas. Advent's before Christmas. Advent reminds us that hundreds of years before Jesus actually came into the world, that there were prophets who longed for His coming, who knew the promise that He would, who did things in their own lifetimes, in their own world, to prepare themselves for when that time might come, because it could come at any moment. And so they longed for that day. And eventually that day came. Advent, for us, is a recognition that Christ has come, but His work is not yet finished. But there is coming a day when it will be finished. So, as those Old Testament prophets and those Old Testament faithful people longed for the day when God would enter the world and make things right, we recognize that the beginnings of that have already come. That's what Advent means. It, it's an inauguration. It's a beginning. It means that we have kind of the down payment given to us. And now we're just waiting for the fulfillment of that to take place and so we long for him coming again because we know that when he comes again that that is when things will finally be fully set right and because he's come and what he did in his coming 
that end is certain. We don't have to speak about it as something that will one day happen, but we can talk about it as if it has already happened. And that's what Mary does. And so for us then, what that means for us is that we have this tremendous opportunity in our world. Because we know that these things are true, because we realize that the way the world works is not the way God intended the world to work, but it's the way that we've created the world to work, but that as God's people, He's called us to be different. He's called us to live in ways that aren't in accordance with the ways of the world. And so we don't have to play by those rules. Too often we we say, well, that's the way that it works. If if you're going to get by in this world and if you're going to get what you want in this world, you have to play by the rules. Well, God has given us as his people a different set of rules to live by. And where we show that is right here in this place. It's why James, when he criticized that early church for the way they showed preference, he wasn't criticizing the world. He didn't say, listen, the Romans shouldn't do this. This isn't the way that the world around you should work. He said, this isn't the way that you should work. This isn't the way that it should happen among you. And so, let the world do its thing. Let it run by its rules. We, as the church, have been called to be the people of God here in this place to show that world that that's upside down. This is right side up. So when we get together, we shouldn't privilege people for their position in society or their, the size of their bank account or, or whatnot. We should privilege everyone equally because we are all the children of God equally. That's, it, it, it really is one of the, the geniuses of Baptists that that has been our history for so long, that we are people who believe everyone in here who is a follower of Jesus Christ has the Spirit of God dwelling within them. Do you know why, when it comes time to make important decisions in the life of the church, why you have a say? It's not because we're Americans and we believe in democracy. It's because we're Christians and we believe that the Spirit of God dwells in you as much as it does in me or Todd or Laura or Rusty or anyone else. That the Spirit of God indwells all of us. But that also, I have my limitations. And so does Todd, and so does Rusty, and so does Laura. And so we need to hear the Spirit of God together. So when we make decisions, we don't make decisions based on, well, what I think is right or what I think is good or what I think is best because too often our minds are still influenced by the way the world works. But instead, when it comes time to make those decisions, we go before God and we say, God, what would you have us to do? And we hear from Him. And we let him speak to us. And even if it's different than what I would do on my own. I mean, sometimes I wonder what, what was going through Ezekiel's mind when God said, get naked and lay on your side for three years. 
I mean, I'd have been saying, mm, I'm pretty sure that's not God. That must have been what I ate last night. <clears throat> but sometimes God speaks to us in ways that may not make entire sense to us, that may not be intuitive or whatever. Now, the longer we go down the road and the longer we walk with God, the more those kind of things should start making sense to us. But then we come together and we make those decisions together. Doesn't matter what your bank account says. Doesn't matter what your standing in the community is or any of that sort of thing. The, the Spirit of God speaking through you is the same as the Spirit of God speaking through me or anyone else. And that's the kind of world that Mary envisions. It's not that the wealthy are being punished. It's not that the powerful are... are, are have, have done something immoral other than often when you get in those positions we have this tendency to try to keep the people below us below us and that's the kind of thing that she's saying God is reversing but listen it's begun and, and, and we can fight it and we can play by the world's rules all we want, but at the end of the day, it, it's all going in the trash bin. I mean, if you want to live your life fighting for something that will ultimately one day end up in the trash bin of history, uh, that's a decision that you and I and we all have to make. But Mary is presenting us with a new reality, and she's calling us to live into it. And it is a reality that will one day be vindicated when Christ returns. And so if we want to be on the right side, then it, it does us well to start living that way now. And, and it's something that... Uh, a, a great passage that um, it is in Romans 13 that... Paul wrote about this. It's, I don't know, I, I read a theologian a few years ago who kind of went through this. I was doing a study in Romans, and I was like, wow, that's, uh, I'd never seen that before, so I'm going to share it with you. But in, at the end of Romans uh, 13, chapter 13, uh, Paul says, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And, and he describes it this way. He says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. In other words, he's, he's talking about what Christ has done for us and what he's brought into the world is like the dawning of a new day. We're not at the end of the day yet. When we get to the end of the day, he'll, he'll return to us. But we are no longer in the night where we have to live by those rules that the world has made. But a dawn has come. A new day has come. One where those who have no thing in life are well cared for. And we don't worry about those who have too much hoarding all that for themselves. I was reading this last week, uh, a report from Channel 5 that said that this year, right now, this, this season, Oklahoma City 
homeless shelters are seeing an influx of children. And they said the problem that those who run those shelters have mentioned is that those shelters are not designed to care for children. And yet that's what we're seeing. And Mary envisions a world where they're cared for. They're cared for appropriately. Well cared for. Because those who have supply the need. It's what the early church in Acts, what, what they were doing was not socialism. When it says that everyone who had went and sold their property so that they could meet the needs of others that were among them. It wasn't socialism. It was a recognition that God has the resources to care for all of us. The problem is we tend to hoard much of those resources for ourselves at the expense of others. And that early church said, you know what? If I've got an overabundance, I'm going to sell some of that because I see someone right there. Like the, the poor man Lazarus in the, at that rich man's gate, I cannot pass by him and do nothing. I must do something. And so they had the means. It didn't put themselves in poverty. It just meant that they had the means to address a need and they addressed it. But in the end, that's the kind of world that God would have us to live in. And again, you and I have a tremendous opportunity as the people of God to show the world around us that all of that's like flying upside down and eventually you're going to crash. Let us show you a different way. And we do some of that, don't we? I mean, every Wednesday... There are people who come and have needs met. And they have those needs met because of the generosity of so many who are here today who come and help stuff boxes and help hand them out and, and help in other ways. There's, uh, there's medical care, dental care. There's all kinds of things that we do as a church. These are the ways that we live in this world showing a right-side-up kind of world. It's the world that Mary envisioned God bringing in her own day. And it's a world that we continue in our day until he comes. Let's pray.